Father in heaven, indeed, we pray today that our ears will hear uh, a word that you have for us today. Lord, your people have not always, through history, been good at listening, and that's part of this story, but help us hear this story and help it to enable us to push through when we come to those tough times. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to consider a Bible story today, a story about really high hopes that came crashing up against a tough reality. Have you ever had high hopes? Got off to a good start and then ran into a wall? It's a story about God's people who set out to do a great work, but then they run up against trouble, and when they run into that trouble, they begin to lose their determination. But this is one of those stories where God sends a word to his people, and they hear that word and refine their purpose and unite themselves again and push through only to find waiting on the other side, God standing there waiting for them with help they never even could have imagined. Have you ever had those high hopes that crash? If so, maybe you can find some hope in this Bible story today. Ezra chapter 1, verse 1. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also put it in writing. Now, I want you to appreciate that verse we just read. In order to fulfill the word of the prophet Jeremiah, God moved on the heart of Cyrus, the pagan king of the Persians. You think the Lord can fulfill his word? Verse 2, this is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem, and may their God be with them. And in any locality where survivors may now be living, the people are to provide them with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with free will offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. Then the family heads of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and Levites, everyone whose heart God had moved, prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. All their neighbors assisted them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with valuable gifts in addition to all the freewill offerings. Moreover, King Cyrus brought out the articles belonging to the temple of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and had them placed in the temple of his God. Cyrus, king of Persia, had them brought by Mithridath the treasurer, who counted them out to Sheshbazar the prince of Judah. Now we've heard of these things that came out of the temple before, right? The articles that belonged to the temple of the Lord, they showed up in another story in the Bible. Do you remember the story of Belshazzar? When he got those same articles out, but it wasn't to give them back, was it? He got them out 
to drink out of and to toast the gods of gold and silver and iron and stone. And it was in that day that a hand appeared and wrote, but now a new king has come. And he's taking those things and saying, take them back to the temple of the Lord where they belong. Now, who's ever heard of a conquering king giving the spoils back? Does that usually happen? No. But it does happen when the Lord is with his people. You see, what's happening here in these verses is actually a fulfillment of not just one, but two prophecies. One by Jeremiah that was mentioned, and the other by Isaiah, a prophecy so bizarrely specific that modern scholars have refused to believe Isaiah could have actually made that prophecy because it takes place over 150 years before the event. We'll get to that in a minute. But the, the Jeremiah prophecy that's being fulfilled here pretty well sets up the context for what's taking place. So let's go to that Jeremiah prophecy and let Jeremiah explain how we got where we are in Ezra 1. Jeremiah 25, verse 1. The word came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, which was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. All right, so the Ezra story is all the way down here in the empire of the Medes and the Persians. But the prophecy goes all the way back to when Jerusalem still stood, there was still a temple, and there was still a king. So Jeremiah the prophet said to all the people of Judah and to all those living in Jerusalem, for 23 years... From the 13th year of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, until this very day, the word of the Lord has come to me, and I have spoken to you again and again, but you have not listened. Is it any wonder Jesus will use that phrase when he's here? What is it? He who has an ear, let him hear. Unfortunately, there was a long history of not hearing. Verse 4. And, the Lord, and though the Lord has sent all his servants, the prophets, to you, again and again you have not listened or paid any attention. They said, turn now, each of you, from your evil ways and your evil practices, and you can stay in the land the Lord gave to you and your ancestors forever and ever. Do not follow other gods to serve and worship them. Do not arouse my anger with what your hands have made. Then I will not harm you. But you did not listen to me, declares the Lord, and you have aroused my anger with what your hands have made, and you have brought harm to yourselves. Therefore, the Lord Almighty says this, because you have not listened to my words, I will summon all the peoples of the north and catch these words, my servant, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. We've talked about this before, haven't we? Nebuchadnezzar? Servant of the Lord? Who do the kings of the earth serve, whether they know it or not? They serve the God in heaven, and he does with them as he chooses. Verse 9, I will summon all the peoples of the north and my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, declares the Lord, and I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all the surrounding nations. I will completely destroy them and make them an object of horror and scorn and an everlasting ruin. 
I will banish from them the sounds of joy and gladness, the voices of bride and bridegroom, the sound of millstones and the light of the lamp. This whole country will become a desolate wasteland, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon how long? Seventy years. But... When the 70 years are fulfilled, I will punish the king of Babylon and his nation, the land of the Babylonians, for their guilt, declares the Lord, and will make it desolate forever. I will bring on that land all the things I have spoken against it, all that are written in this book and prophesied by Jeremiah against all the nations. They themselves will be enslaved by many nations and great kings. I will repay them according to their deeds and the work of their hands. So this is Jeremiah's prophecy. And now 70 years have passed, and what we read in Ezra 1 is the fulfillment of exactly what Jeremiah said would happen. The people have been captive for 70 years. Babylon has dominated, but the years God proclaimed for Babylon are now over, and a new power has arisen, just like Jeremiah and Daniel, for that matter, said would happen. The Medes and the Persians, under the leadership of Cyrus, king of Persia, have defeated the Babylonians, just like Isaiah said what happened. And this is the prophecy I mentioned earlier. So exactly spot on that many recent theologians have refused to believe that Isaiah could have written this. Isaiah chapter 45 verse 1, this is what the Lord says to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I take hold of to subdue nations before him and to strip kings of their armor, to open doors before him so that gates will not be shut. Who was the anointed of the Lord? Cyrus the Persian. Verse 2, I will go before you and will level the mountains. I will break down gates of bronze and cut through bars of iron. I will give you hidden treasures, riches stored in secret places, so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, who summons you by name. For the sake of Jacob, my servant, of Israel, my chosen, I summon you by name and bestow on you a title of honor, though you do not acknowledge me. Does God need a ruler to acknowledge him in order for God to use that ruler to accomplish his purpose? Well, apparently not. I am the Lord and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. I will strengthen you though you have not acknowledged me so that from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, you will dominate. Verse 11, this is what the Lord says, the Holy One of Israel and its Maker. Concerning things to come, do you question me about my children or give me orders about the work of my hands? It is I who made the earth and created humankind on it. My own hands stretched out the heavens. I marshaled their starry hosts. I will raise up Cyrus in my righteousness. I will make all his ways straight. He will rebuild my city and set my exiles free, but not for a price or reward, says the Lord Almighty. So did that pretty much turn out like Isaiah said? That is exactly what happened. 
And exactly the way Isaiah prophesied it 160-some years before, unless, of course, you're among those that think God could never be that specific. I let you choose for yourself, but here's what I believe. If God can tell Jeremiah that the captivity will be over in 70 years and it happens, I'm pretty sure he could tell Isaiah the name of the one who would put an end to it. But back to the story, it's time for the people of Judah to go back home and rebuild the temple. This is what God has called them to do. And they actually get off to a pretty good start. According to Ezra chapter 2, 42,360 of them leave the land of Babylon and leave their captivity with the purpose of returning to and rebuilding the temple and rebuilding Jewish life in Jerusalem. But here's the thing, if you've ever been a, a pioneer, it's not going to be easy. Ezra chapter 3 verse 1, when the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, the people assembled together as one in Jerusalem. Then Joshua, son of Josedach, and his fellow priest and Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and his associates began to build the altar of the God of Israel to sacrifice burnt offerings on it in accordance with what is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Despite their fear of the peoples around them, they built the altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and evening sacrifices. This was frontier living, complete with the daily fear that in at any point, marauders could come over the hill and attack the people. I mean, think Wild West here. Verse 8, in the second month of the second year after their arrival at the house of God in Jerusalem, Zerubbabel son of Shealtiel, Joshua son of Josedach, and the rest of the people, the priests and the Levites and all who had returned from the captivity to Jerusalem, began the work. They appointed Levites, 20 years old and older, to supervise the building of the house of the Lord. Verse 10, when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments and with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, took their places to praise the Lord as prescribed by David, king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, He is good. His love toward Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. So it sounds like a beautiful scene. But even in the midst of the rejoicing, trouble was brewing. Now it's understandable, I suppose, but yet it would be insidious in its effect. Verse 12, but many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping because the people made so much noise and the sound was heard far away. So you could have walked away from that event and said, yeah, everybody was excited, or you could have walked away and said, yeah, everybody was crying. It's understandable, I suppose, if you had seen the splendor of Solomon's temple, and now you see what's obviously going to be a humble building. 
It's understandable, right? But here's the thing. This was not the time for the elders to bemoan that which was past. This was a time for them to take courage and to encourage the younger ones who maybe didn't know what had been lost but were rejoicing over what was soon to be. Ellen White actually makes a brief comment about this in Prophets and Kings. She writes, Could those who failed to rejoice at the laying of the foundation stone of the temple have foreseen the results of their lack of faith on that day? They would have been appalled. Little did they realize the weight of their words of disapproval and disappointment. Little did they know how much their expressed dissatisfaction would delay the completion of the Lord's house. And I read those words the other day, and as I read them, they caused me to ponder and realize that I need to take warning from those words because on more than one occasion in my life, I have been prone to speak a discouraging word. For example, detailing every reason why that idea is not going to work when what was needed was a little bit of encouragement. Have you ever been that way? Have you ever been the wet blanket? Have you ever been the one that threw cold water on the celebration of others? I've been that one. If you have too, perhaps you will join me in receiving caution from these words. But back to the story, Ezra chapter 4, verse 1. When the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the exiles were building a temple for the Lord, the God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel and to the heads of the families and said, let us help you build because like you, we seek your God and have been sacrificing to him since the time of Esarhaddon, king of the Assyrians, who brought us here. All right, now you need to understand, there's some key words that help you understand why this was not welcome help. First of all, it says the enemies of the people. Secondly, yeah, they were sacrificing to Yahweh, but they were also sacrificing to a whole lot of other gods as well, which was the problem that got Jerusalem destroyed in the first place. And third, these are the Samaritans. You remember how we feel about them, right? Okay, well, maybe we haven't been fair to them all the time. But the truth was, these are the peoples that the Assyrians brought to be in the land after the tribes of Israel were taken away. Verse 3, But Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the rest of the heads of the families of Israel answered, You have no part with us in building the temple to our God. We alone will build it for the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, commanded us. Then the peoples around them set out to discourage the people of Judah and make them afraid to go on building. They bribed officials to work against them and frustrate their plans during the entire reign of Cyrus, king of Persia, and down to the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Have you ever had a time like this in your life? When you set out to do something God has asked you to do, but you keep running into resistance, and it seems like everyone you encounter is set against you, and they even start actively trying to turn your few supporters against you. Have you ever been there? That's exactly what's happening. And I don't know what happens to you when that happens, 
But what happened here was after a while, after every day was so hard, the people got discouraged. You can imagine how they started to think. Maybe you've been down this road. What made us think we could do this in the first place? And what's the point anyway? You saw how our elders cried when we started building this. Why did we even come back to this wasteland? Didn't we have it pretty good back in Babylon? I guess maybe God isn't really with us after all, and we were just presumptive. I guess we might as well just try to live our lives and build our homes as best we can. You ever been through a time like that? You give up on the dream? A time when everything seems set against you and the easiest thing would just be to give up? It is at times like this when you find yourself in that spot. What you need is a word from the Lord. Now, if you're reading through Ezra chapter 4, what happens after this verse, the chronology, exactly when and what the next verses are referring to, gets a little confused as it seems the author begins to generalize the resistance that came against the people, and he actually references events that won't take place till later on. I don't have time to flesh that out, but, but if you wanted to study that more, the Adventist Bible Commentary has a very useful discussion on that point. But for what we need for our story today, we're going to skip ahead to verse 24. Ezra 4, 24, Thus the work on the house of God in Jerusalem came to a standstill until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Now, in order to understand what kind of a time frame we're talking about, we'll need a little history lesson here regarding the kings of the Medo-Persian Empire. So, so we've got that here. So Cyrus is the original one we talked about, and he defeats the Babylonians, and he ruled from 559 to 530. Then Cambyses came after him, and he was from 530 to 522 B.C. He was actually off on a uh, campaign against Egypt when he got word that a guy named Smyrtus had claimed to be the brother of Cyrus and had taken over the throne. Well, that's not good when you're out in the field. So he immediately turned around and headed home, but died on his way home. And it was at that point that Darius arose and deposed Smyrtus and became the king of the Medes and the Persians. So you can kind of understand, this was a bit of an unsettled time in a lot of ways when this is going on. And maybe you had the, maybe you had the vote of Cyrus on your side, but I don't know about these other guys. And the people lost hope. The Jews returned from their captivity in 538, towards the end of Cyrus's reign. They begin work on the temple in 536, but then disruptions and resistance caused them to abandon the work until the year 519. So what happened? What happened to get them going again? What enabled the people to rise up and push against the barriers until they broke through? Well, Ezra chapter 5 summarizes what happened with these words. Verse 1, Now Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the prophet, a descendant of Edo, prophesied to the Jews in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. 
Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, son of Josedek, set to work to rebuild the house of God in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. Now, one of the really neat things about this story is it mentions two prophets who have books in the Bible. So we have this little piece, and it says the prophets arose, and the words of the prophets encouraged them. And sometimes you hear a story like that, and you think, wow, I wonder what the prophets said. Well, guess what? We know at least what Haggai said. It's interesting because they had given up. The people had given up on doing what God sent them to do and had begun to focus on what they thought they needed to do to survive. But God needed them to learn a very important lesson, and that lesson was you don't survive by your wits. You survive by the grace of God through your life. And if they wouldn't attend to what God had called them to do, Neither were they going to prosper in what they tried to do instead. Haggai chapter 1, verse 1. In the second year of King Darius. We just read in Ezra 5 that in the second year they got moving again. Here we go. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much but harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You put on clothes but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. And with these words, God closed the loop for them on why they had been struggling so hard to just survive. They haven't done what God sent them there to do. Verse 7, this is what the Lord Almighty says, Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house which remains a ruin while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain and the new wine, the olive oil and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock and on all the labors of your hands. What was the effect of these words? Verse 12, then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai because the Lord their God had sent him and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people, I am with you, declares the Lord. 
So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. They listened to the word of the Lord this time. And they got going. What was the result? Well, at first, very similar to what happened before. Ezra 5, verse 3. At that time, Tatanai, governor of Trans-Euphrates, and Shether Bozani and their associates went to them and asked, who authorized you to rebuild this temple and to finish it? They also asked, what are the names of those who are constructing this building? But the eye of their God was watching over the elders of the Jews, and they were not stopped until a report could go to Darius and his written reply be received. Now, what happens next in the book of Ezra is amazing because you get this little insight into what it was like in the Persian Empire in those days because you've got a letter from the governor going to the royal palace for a ruling, and he's going to send back and tell them what to do. Now, it's a fascinating stretch here. We don't have time to read it all, but it starts with an address where they send it off, and he describes the situation. He says, we went up to Jerusalem, and they're building the temple, and we're not sure they ought to be doing that. But they told us that Cyrus said they're supposed to do this. So they're writing a letter, because they don't want to go against what Cyrus said. So they write a letter to Darius and say, in verse 17, now if it pleases the king... Let a search be made in the royal archives of Babylon to see if King Cyrus did in fact issue a decree to rebuild this house in Jerus- of God in Jerusalem. Then let the king send us his decision in this matter. It's fascinating how all of these pieces are moving. And it seems like resistance has come again when the people have tried to do what God sent them to do. But this time, they don't give up. They keep pushing forward. And here's what happens next. Ezra chapter 6, verse 1. King Darius then issued an order, and they searched in the archives stored in the treasury at Babylon. A scroll was found in the citadel of Ecbatana in the province of Media, and this was written on it. Now, I want you to realize and appreciate what's actually being said here and how thorough this search was. They didn't just look in Babylon because ultimately the evidence they found was in the province of Media in a completely different city. Memorandum. Verse 3, in the first year of King Cyrus, the king issued a decree concerning the temple of God in Jerusalem. Let the temple be rebuilt as a place to present sacrifices and let its foundations be laid. It is to be 60 cubits high and 60 cubits wide with three courses of large stones and one of timbers. The costs are to be paid by the royal treasury. Also, the gold and silver articles of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took from the temple in Jerusalem and brought to Babylon, are to be returned to their places in the temple in Jerusalem. They are to be deposited in the house of God. Now then, Tatanai, governor of Trans-Euphrates, and Shethar, Bozani, and you other officials of that province, stay away from there. Do not interfere with the work on this temple of God. Let the governor of the Jews and the Jewish elders rebuild this house of God on its site. Moreover, 
I hereby decree that you are to do for these elders of the Jews in the construction of this house of God. Their expenses are to be fully paid out of the royal treasury from the revenues of trans-Euphrates so that the work will not stop. Whatever is needed, young bulls, rams, male lambs for burnt offerings to the God of heaven, and wheat, salt, wine, and olive oil as requested by the priests in Jerusalem must be given them daily without fail so that they may offer sacrifices pleasing to the God of heaven and pray for the well-being of the king and his sons. Furthermore, I decree that if anyone defies this edict, a beam is to be pulled from their house and they are to be impaled on it. And for this crime, their house is to be made a pile of rubble. May God, who has caused his name to dwell there, overthrow any king or people who lifts a hand to change this decree or to destroy this temple in Jerusalem. I, Darius, have decreed it. Let it be carried out with diligence. So you see what happened here? God gave the people the task. And at first they set about to get the task done with energy, but disappointment about the details of parts of it from some of the elders and resistance from outside caused the people to lose heart. But God sent prophets to again inspire the people. And this time, the people stood up to the resistance and pushed through. And in the end, they didn't just gain royal permission to continue. In addition, God rewarded their faithfulness with not just permission, but also with resources and with means that they never dreamed of in order to accomplish God's purpose. Here's the point. God has a purpose for us in our lives. And God has a purpose for us as a people. Sometimes as we seek to do His will, we run up against a seemingly impossible barrier. And it is easy for us to lose heart and quit. But if God is truly in the work He has given you or given us to do, then He will be faithful and send us a word of encouragement when we falter if we will listen for it. And if, when we get that word, we get back up and push through, we will find God standing on the other side of the barrier we thought we could never get through with resources and help in abundance that we didn't even imagine existed. This gives me hope because I've got some barriers in my life and I get discouraged sometimes. Let's finish the story. Ezra chapter 6 verse 13. Then because of the decree King Darius had sent, Tatanai, governor of Trans-Euphrates, and Shethar Bozani and their associates carried it out with diligence. So the elders of the Jews continued to build and prosper. Were they prospering before? No, they were struggling before. They continued to build and prosper under the preaching of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah, a descendant of Edo. 
They finished building the temple according to the command of the God of Israel and the decrees of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. The temple was completed on the third day of the month of Adar in the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. They did it. They got it done. What do you need to do in your life right now that seems impossible? What do we need to do that seems impossible? I want to say to you, if God has called us to that work, if God has called you to that work, then you cannot let anything discourage you. Today is the day to determine to push through. Now, if you're discouraged right now over anything, my prayer is today that God is sending you a word of assurance. And then, when you get that word, you will hear it, and you will push through. And after you have pushed through, you will find grace and mercy and provision and deliverance that you never even knew was there. God calls His people to do great things for His kingdom. And when we push through, He meets us with everything we need to get it done. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that you will give us courage today. Many of us face trials. Give us the courage to push through. Sometimes these trials take us into very dark places. But be a light for us. Send us your word of encouragement. Lord, we make ourselves available to hear your words of reassurance. Don't let our dreams die, Lord, not the dreams you've given us. Give us determination that we might push through and find Jesus on the other side with deliverance. In Jesus' name, amen.